A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. The word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, by your mysterious power, speak to us your truth and show us your wisdom, that we may know you more deeply and serve you more faithfully. For the sake of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, scientifically, we could say a seed grows like this. A wheat seed is scattered on the ground. And if that seed penetrates the soil, and if the soil has the necessary amounts of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and other elements, if the seed receives sufficient oxygen, if the temperature of the soil is within a healthy range for the seed, and if sufficient water reaches the seed, something remarkable happens. That seed absorbs water. The cells of that seed then expand. The embryo of that seed swells, and hormones are produced that stimulate enzymes in the seed. Those enzymes break down starch and protein stored in the seed, converting them to sugars and amino acids, which the seed will require to grow. As the embryo grows, it ruptures the seed wall and roots come out that bore out and down to give the growing wheat stalk stability. The coleoptile then bursts through the seed coat and pushes up toward the surface to emerge out of the soil. And in time, if the weather is conducive to further growth, we observe a full-grown wheat stalk. We know a great deal today about the way a wheat seed grows. We've carefully observed and recorded and named each step in the growth process over these last 2,000 years since the parable of the farmer Jesus tells in today's passage was first spoken. But in many ways, we are still like the farmer in today's parable. We observe how the earth produces first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head, though we have more studies available to us today than the first century farmer did. We scatter seed like the farmer in today's passage does, though we have more information today on productive planting techniques. And we harvest the grain when it is ripe, as the farmer does in today's text, though we do have additional tools today to do that work, like the modern combine. But when it comes to actually producing this growth, we're just like the farmer. In today's parable, we don't know how the growth happens. We can't make even one of the crucial elements the seed needs to grow, like sun, earth, sky, and rain, and we certainly don't know how to weave into creation the very process of growth that's crucial for all of life to exist. We can only look on as we sleep and rise and note like the farmer in today's parable does that while we slept, growth happened. Amazing. 
Now, to be clear, we do have a great deal of power to mess around with the stuff God has made. We can create chemical reactions that alter things or allow us to create artificial environments. As an escape, many people are spending time today in virtual worlds on computer screens. Those can offer a great sense of travel without leaving home. But we know such realities are artificial. The real world, the world of sun, sky, air, and earth is the world on which our breathing and eating and our very life depends. And that world, that reality, is God's reality. It's a gift. We couldn't make it if our life depended on it. God's reality, God's kingdom, God's economy, God's ecosystem. These are all ways to translate the Greek term basileia to theo, which occurs some 13 times in Mark's gospel. The passage today is one of those occurrences we read in that text in the original Greek, basileia to theo, translated in the New Revised Standard Version, kingdom of God. Basileia to Theo has been called the central theme of Jesus' teaching in Mark's gospel. And when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, he often uses references to the natural world. It's as if he's saying the best illustration we have of God's reality, God's economy is right before our eyes there in the natural world, if we have eyes to see it. Well, the farmer and author Wendell Berry famously writes of two economies, the great economy and our little economies. The great economy is the earth, the skies, the rain, the air, all that God has made that gives us life and on which we depend. The little economies are the kind of systems we humans create. We might harvest wheat, for example, and sell it. That is a little economy. We might store the wheat, for example, to sell later. Or we might buy or sell land on which wheat is grown. Those are little economies. But there is a larger economy on which all of that depends. The economy that first gave us grain, that great economy. is the vast interconnected ecosystem God created. That great economy, that is where the farmer plants and harvests, but recognizes there's a power beyond him that is woven growth into the universe. You know, when we think our little economies are the real economy, well, then we have a clash of economies. We will have what I've been calling for the sermon series, a clash of realities and God's reality. God's economy is the one that will eventually prevail, for it is the real thing. Our little economies can't compete, for they depend, in the end, on the great economy. Barry puts it like this. He writes, we cannot do what the topsoil does any more than we can do what God does. We can dispose of corpses and garbage, but we cannot, by our own devices, turn them into fertility and new life. And we're discovering to our great uneasiness that we cannot dispose of all at all of some of our so-called wastes that are toxic or radioactive. If humans choose to live in the great economy on its terms, then they must live in harmony with it, maintaining it in trust. You see, the great economy is the real economy. The economies we create, those are simply rearranging things in the great economy. We can tend the garden well or 
poorly. But the garden God has given us is all we have. We can't make a new one any more than we could weave growth into the very fabric of the world. And if we aren't careful, we can rearrange the stuff of earth with disastrous consequences. Back in the 1930s, farmers in the prairies of Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas uprooted native grasses so they could plant and harvest wheat. But they failed to realize our economies are finally dependent on God's economy. When they tore up the grasses on the prairies to plant wheat, they later realized those grasses had been crucial to trapping soil and moisture during periods of drought and high winds without them. There was nothing to hold the soil down. And with high winds, the dry soil was then pulled into the air, creating devastating dust storms. Today, we're producing more than 300 million tons of plastic waste each year, only 10% of which gets recycled. And where do we put all that additional waste? There's no other earth but this one. We can't make another, and we're running out of space for all the plastic in our landfills, dumps, and oceans. Our plastic-making, our plastic-using, our plastic-disposing economies operate, you see, within God's economy. And when the two economies, those two realities clash, it's no contest. It's like a virtual reality trying to assert it is the true reality. Nope. The God-given, the God-made reality will win in the end. So best not to try to make the earth or make reality itself conform to our wishes. To pretend we can keep producing so much plastic with just one earth. How much better it would be to adjust to God's reality, to God's economy, and live according to that economy's natural God-given limits. The story Jesus tells, in some ways, it's so basic. We scatter seed and watch the seed grow and harvest the grain when it's ripe. But there are things that are beyond us that are God-given and worth respecting as such. On the one hand, it calls out to us to care for the garden of the earth, for we recognize we cannot make another. But it also offers us a rich way to live here and now where we see everywhere we look in this God-made world that very power that gave life to the universe if we have eyes to see it. Well, Annalise and Ryan will soon glimpse this higher power at work when they welcome a baby boy into the world next week, we anticipate. We don't call it a miracle of birth for nothing. It's an everyday miracle. But you don't need to look to a human birth to see the amazing growth process God has woven into the world and glimpse the awesome power behind it. You can see God's economy, the Basilea to Theo, looking at something as simple as a grain of wheat, Jesus says. We plant and harvest. God brings the growth. We plant and harvest. God brings the growth. That is life, abundant life, in the Basilea to Theo, the economy of God. 
as Christians. We believe that very power that wove growth into the universe came near to us in Jesus Christ. And he distributed food to the hungry in abundance like the life-giving power of God was at work in him that nourishes the earth and all those of us who dwell on it. Jesus gave life to the sick Then he cast out death-dealing forces of evil. He even brought some declared dead to life again. As Christians, we believe that the power that gave life to the universe and gives life to us today came near to us in Christ and lives in us now through faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. By faith in him, we are united to the very God that gave growth to the world. In him, we have new life. And it's such a rich life when you recognize there is that higher power at work, when you see there are not just our economies, but God's economy, and that it came near to us in Christ. It's like you shift from living a two-dimensional existence to a three-dimensional existence. Before, there was just us and the earth, two dimensions. In the Basilea to Theu, the kingdom of God, there is the earth, us and the author of all things at work in the world, a three-dimensional life. It's a life in awe, life in gratitude, life in communion with the God we know in Christ, who's with us now by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a life where you recognize things you could never accomplish on your own can be accomplished by God's power. Things like growth are possible in God's economy. Things like justice, mercy, and love are possible in God's economy. We plant and harvest. God brings the growth. Well, in writing about her work leading the Montgomery bus boycott back in 1955, Joanne Gibson Robinson describes the moment she recognized God was at work in their efforts bringing the growth. And she notes how that recognition made all the difference. They did work to be sure those who planned the bus boycott, but God brought the growth. God brought it to fruition, Robinson declares. Robinson writes from firsthand experience as a leader in the bus boycott. Her story is a great one to recall as a church on this Black History Month. Robinson notes that For that mass movement to prevail, God's power was needed, and they saw God at work. It was like seeing there's not just a human economy of transportation at work back in 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama, with its laws at that time of segregation on the buses and the verbal and physical abuse meted out by bus drivers. No, there was, there is another economy, God's economy, God's kingdom. It's an economy where a grain seed grows by God's hand. It's an economy where justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Robinson had been traumatized by an incident back in 1949 that she never forgot, and it led her to her leadership activity in the boycott. As an African-American English professor at Alabama State College, Robinson was taking the bus from campus to a friend's house one day in 1949. She boarded an almost empty bus and sat down in the fifth row from the front. She closed her eyes to imagine the wonderful vacation she had ahead. 
She was awoken and startled by the threats from the bus driver who then stopped the bus, walked down to her seat and drew back his hand as if he would hit her, shouting, get up from there, get up from there. In tears, Robinson ran off the bus and she never forgot the humiliation and dehumanization of that moment. She became active the next year in the Women's Political Council in Montgomery and then became its president. And she helped make busing reforms their priority. The group threatened the city's mayor with a boycott if changes were not made to seating practices and to bus driver conduct. Then in 1955, after Rosa Parks was arrested one Thursday for refusing to give up her seat, Robinson saw an opportunity. Along with a couple students at the university, Robinson printed more than 50,000 leaflets the very Thursday night Rosa Parks was arrested. The leaflets called for a bus boycott the following Monday. And then when the flyers were distributed the next day, something amazing happened, Robinson recalls. That very morning, that Friday morning, black clergymen happened to be meeting at the Hilliard Chapel Ami Zion Church. Robinson was active at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, where a young pastor had just begun serving the year before a preacher named Martin Luther King Jr. When Robinson learned that King and other clergy would be meeting that Friday morning, the very day the bus boycott was being announced on the leaflets, Robinson writes, we felt God was on our side. We felt God was on our side. The pastors that morning decided to hold a second larger gathering that evening where church members would be welcome as well. And those pastors with the church members that night decided to support the boycott. Robinson writes of how crucial that moment was. She notes the black ministers and their churches made the Montgomery bus boycott of 1955-56 to 56 the success that it was. Robinson distributed the flyers like a farmer distributing seeds, but ultimately she saw what the farmer in today's passage from Mark's gospel sees. It's God who ultimately brings such efforts to fruition. It is God who makes things grow. There is work we have to do, tending the garden, caring for creation, loving our neighbor, especially that neighbor that has known discrimination and trauma. But God is the one who brings our efforts to fruition. We plant and harvest. God brings the growth. That is life, abundant life in the Basilea to Theu. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.